One of my favorite moments in the Gospels is in Luke chapter 11. The disciples see Jesus praying, and we'll never know which disciple got up the courage to do this, but whoever he was, he stepped forward and he said, Lord, teach us to pray. What I love about that request is that all 12 of Jesus' apostles are Jews. They had prayed before. They've been taught to pray the Shema since childhood. They had been going to synagogue every Shabbat, every Saturday. But however Jesus prayed, they wanted to pray more like Him. They viewed themselves as apprentices, and they saw someone who they thought was the master of prayer. This morning, we're beginning a new series called Teach Us to Pray, and the foundational truth behind this series is this. There's always more to learn about prayer. And I don't mean there's more information about the concept of prayer that you ought to learn, even though that's true. It's not the point. The point is there's always more of God to know in prayer. Just like Ben said, there's always more intimacy, always more depth of the relationship you could have with Him. God is infinite, and there's no edge, no end where you get to say, I'm done knowing everything I need to know about God. Now, our conceptions about prayer are probably pretty different in this room. Sometimes prayer is just seen as talking to God. God, thank you for this gift. I'm sorry for sinning in this way. Please give me this thing I need. But prayer is also more than asking, more than talking to God. It's time spent with God. Just like marriage isn't just conversation with your spouse, just like friendship is not just talking to your best friend, prayer is time spent with Him, sometimes speaking, sometimes listening. But Jesus assumes that all of His followers will pray. He never says, if you pray, if you have the time, if you gin up the courage, if you have the energy, if it's convenient. No, no, no. He says, when you pray. A Christian who doesn't pray to God is like a husband who's never around his spouse, a friend who never makes time for her companion. It just doesn't make sense. The relationship is defined by time spent together. Now, I think at the end of the day, many Christians want to pray, and we want to pray more often than we do. We just don't know how. And the good news is that our Lord Jesus knows what we need. We need to be taught how to pray. And that's what He does. And that's what we're going to be exploring for the next couple of weeks. Now, before He even gives the famous prayer to His disciples, He does tell them, how not to pray. He repeats this multiple times in the passage we just read. When you pray, do not do this. Now, there's kind of an awkward question that pastors get sometimes, which is, is there a wrong way to pray? And of course, we want to say, no, of course not, because we don't want people to get bogged down. We don't want people to think there's a perfect set of words, a perfect environment, the perfect feelings you have to have to pray. But Jesus does warn us about some kinds of praying. He believes that bad theology corrupts good prayer. 
Because when you pray, you always go into it with some view of God. You're assuming that God is on your side or against you. You're assuming that you can be heard or won't be heard. A lot of people assume the answer to prayer is always yes. A lot of people assume the answer to prayer is always no. But Jesus wants you to go into prayer knowing who you're praying to because it'll help you pray better. So I want to go back to Matthew chapter 6 and look at all of Jesus' words. I want to read these verses very slowly and carefully because Jesus tells us this so that we pray and pray more, okay? And his very first warning is to not be like the hypocrites. Now, sometimes we use this word hypocrite as kind of interchangeable for sinner. Every sinner is a hypocrite, and every hypocrite is a sinner. But hypocrisy is something a little bit more particular. It's, it's being fake. It's being a fraud. It's being a pretender. It's acting like you're righteous in an area that you're not so righteous in. Hypocrisy is a greedy person pretending to be generous, an arrogant, prideful person pretending to be humble. And Jesus is using this term so often in the Gospels about the Pharisees. And in this instance, their hypocrisy is their prayer. He says, don't be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Now, clearly here, Jesus is criticizing, actually, he's actually criticizing fellow Jews. Remember, because Jesus is a Jew who prays and prays publicly. But he's worried about some of his fellow Jews, some of these Pharisees, who are praying in order to be seen, in order to be validated and affirmed. They don't pray in public as an example. They don't pray in order to teach kids how to pray. They are praying horizontally, not vertically. This is spiritual showmanship, impressing others just by how religious you are. And here's the thing, Jesus says, don't do this. Instead, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Make sure that some of your prayer is private, some of your prayer is invisible, some of your prayer is just between you and your heavenly Father. Now, I think this is directly relevant to us. I think we really struggle with this. Just ask yourself these questions just for a second. How many of us have a private prayer life unseen by other people? How many of us have a spot in our home that we go to and pray alone? How many of us have dedicated, sacred, uninterruptible time just spent only with God? This is without a doubt very difficult, especially if you have kids. You're like, in uninterruptible time, there's no such thing, right? Imagine this. Jesus is saying, no, 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 part of prayer is just being with you and God. But here's the thing. Even if we had all the time in the world, it is very hard to make time for this kind of prayer, We'd rather do 10 other things before we pray this way. We'd rather watch TV, eat a snack, check email, scroll through Facebook, or 10,000 other to-do list items before this. And Jesus doesn't say it's easy, and he doesn't say it's optional. He just says that it's rewarding. 
He says, if you pray in public just to be seen by others and just to be affirmed and validated by them, that's all you're going to get. He says, truly I tell you, anyone who prays in order to be seen by others has received their reward in full. That's the end of the story. But he says, if you make the time to go into your house and go into a room and close the door and pray unseen, just with your Father, He sees what is done in secret and He will reward you. I want to camp on this spot for just a second. The invisible God, the creator of the universe, sees your invisible prayer. This is Christ's first lesson for our prayer lives, and he tells us this because he knows us so well. We sometimes feel invisible. We sometimes feel unseen, and so we seek attention from others. Men or women in our lives, we want them to validate us and affirm us, and he says, if you seek attention in that way, especially through prayer, it's a dead end. He says, if you want to be seen, there is a way to be seen by the eyes that matter. If you take time for this kind of prayer, your heavenly Father will see you. You don't need to chase the attention of other people to exist or to matter. You're not invisible to your heavenly Father. He sees. One of my favorite names ever given to God comes from Hagar. Uh, This is a character from the Old Testament who is a slave of Abraham's wife, Sarah. And Sarah forces Hagar to sleep with her husband in order for Abraham to father a child through her. And so, huge shocker, once Hagar got pregnant through Sarah's husband, Abraham, huge plot twist, they didn't get along very well, all right? This story comes crashing down, and it all, come, all the burden of it falls on Hagar, and she flees from her master. She's out in the wilderness all by herself, and an angel appears to her, and he blesses her, and then this happens. And I believe this is the first name in the Old Testament to be given to God. Hagar gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Take a second for that. Imagine how invisible this slave felt. How unseen Hagar was. She says to the Lord, you are the God who sees me. We are all Hagar. When we make time to just be with our Heavenly Father, He sees you. You don't have to go running after the attention of anybody else. He looks to you and attends to you. Then Jesus moves to his second lesson, which isn't about his fellow Jews. It's actually a correction against pagan Gentiles. He says, when you pray, do not be like the pagans. He says, they keep on babbling, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now, just to be clear, Jesus is not against long prayers. And the night before he was crucified, he prays a very long prayer in John's gospel in chapter 17. Look at his words, precisely what he says, okay? They believe that they will be heard because of their many words. These pagans think one word won't be enough, two words won't be enough, a paragraph won't be enough. I have to really twist God's arm to get him to listen to me. 
I really need to cajole him and bargain with him and manipulate him. But Jesus says, no, 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 you don't have to keep babbling on and on and on and recite these really long prayers. You're you're not going to make God listen to you because of your many words. God is already listening. If you want an, an amazing book on the Lord's Prayer, you might not be able to see it, but this is the front cover. It's by a guy named Wesley Hill. It's really tiny. You could read it in an afternoon, okay? And Hill, when he's commenting on this passage, says, God doesn't require a flawless recitation of certain phrases as if he were poised to fly into a rage in the absence of the right formula or performance. And then he says this, No, God is your Father. He is already disposed favorably towards you. This is why I had us read from Isaiah 65, and I'm so thankful for Addie reading it for us this morning. This is what Isaiah says in chapter 65. Those are lyrics to a song that I'm not about to sing. Let's see if I can get it right this time. (laughs) And now the slides have disappeared, so I'll just tell you what they say, okay? Isaiah 65 says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, God says, here I am. Here I am. This God is already disposed towards us as a father. He's already seeking us before we even seek him. And Jesus says, Don't be like the pagans who think their God needs to be woken up from sleep, from long, tedious prayers. Don't be like them, for your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus thinks that any theology that says that God needs to be informed by us, given new information by us, is crazy. It's ridiculous. Our heavenly Father already knows everything. He already knows everything what you need. One of my favorite prayers I ever heard was during a church service, and this person got up to pray, and it was kind of a really somber, serious moment. He was praying for someone who had just passed away at the church, and he said, you know, be with her, Lord, be with her family, and be with us at the funeral today at the church at 2 p.m. with a reception afterwards. (laughs) I was like, are you telling God when to show up? Are you worried about him like coming early or late? (laughs) What's happening? Are you informing God? He doesn't know when the funeral's going to be? We don't need to inform God of anything. He already knows. And I think for a lot of us, we may have struggled with that. You know, if God knows everything, if God knows what I need, then why even ask? What's the point in the first place? I think it's because God likes to be asked. I'm, I've been reading the Chronicles of Narnia, and I just read the, the Magician's Nephew, and two of the main characters in the story are named Polly and Diggory, and Aslan the lion, the creator of the, the world of Narnia, has sent this boy and girl on a mission to travel to a mountain in Narnia, and he aids them by giving them a talking and flying horse named Fledge. They get on top of Fledge, he takes them up the mountain, they dismount, and they start to look for food, and the horse Fledge starts to eat the grass, and he says, there's plenty of grass for us all, and they say, well, we actually, we can't eat grass, and so 
uh, Polly and Diggory start to grumble, they say, I do think someone might have arranged for our meals. They're implying that Aslan didn't do enough. And the horse Fledge says to them, well, I'm sure Aslan would have arranged for your meals if only you had asked him. And Polly, being very snarky, asks back, wouldn't Aslan know without being asked? And the horse says, I have no doubt that he would know, but I have an idea that he likes to be asked. I think it's so true and so simple and yet so profound. God is your heavenly Father, and He knows what you need, and He likes to be asked. We don't pray in order to inform God of something He doesn't know already. He's our heavenly Father. He already sees us, already knows us, is already listening to us. He's on the edge of His heavenly seat, poised to hear you in prayer. And the good news of this is that what this means is that God isn't like us, right? We're so distracted by our smartphones, people can't even get our attention. We're so busy with our schedules that people have to beg us for their time. But God has all the time in the world, all the attention you would ever need in prayer. We need our attention captured. We need people to be loud in order to get our attention. But God is no respecter of volume. He isn't like us because He's our Heavenly Father. Becoming a dad is one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given. Evelyn was, uh, we had a birthday party for Evelyn yesterday. She turned one, uh, which is crazy. Uh, But one of the sweetest gifts has been listening to her learn how to talk. Um, Now, of course, I know what Evelyn needs before she asks, right? You don't need your child to come out of the womb ready to speak. But because she's my daughter, I want her to speak to me, and I want to give her my attention. But God never runs into the issue that earthly mothers and fathers face, because every mom and dad in this room knows what it's like to not know what your child needs. Many of you know that Evelyn has ichthyosis, a skin condition that she'll live with for the rest of her life. And one of the most frustrating things right now is not knowing what she needs. To go to doctors and say, what do you think would be best? And they don't know either. But this is the great news about God. He's greater than me, and He's greater than Allison, and He's greater than every mother and father who ever lived. He's our Heavenly Father, and He knows what you need before you even ask. And he takes so much delight and joy in hearing you ask. I chose this sermon series because of all of the conversations that are taking place at our church for the next year. And we, we don't know where things are going to head. The future is uncertain. But our view of God will really impact how we pray over the coming months. Because if we think we really got to twist God's arm to listen to us, and we really need to be loud in order to be heard, if we go forward with the view of God that He's distracted or absent-minded or distant or that He's uncaring or unimpressed, we will have no prayer life for the next year. We will be disconnected from that God because that God is not good. That God does not love us. That's a false God. 
But if we face the coming months with a God who is already watching, already providing, already listening, already loving us, already noticing each and everything we need, we will make time for that God. Because that God is good. And we'll want to spend time with Him. So I want to challenge everybody here for the coming weeks, the coming months, every, every time you have the chance, pray the Lord's Prayer. If you get distracted at work, you have 30 seconds, pray the Lord's Prayer. If you're feeling anxious or nervous about your day, pray the Lord's Prayer. Whatever you're doing, whether it's with your kids or grandkids, pray the Lord's Prayer. When the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, He gave this answer. Surely there is so much good in the Lord's Prayer. How could we possibly reject it? That's my challenge to us all. As we go line by line and explore the Lord's Prayer, we're not trying to just learn more information about God. We want to know Him more deeply. So every chance you get, pray this prayer. Let's pray right now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.